Welcome to No Rewind with Larry Betag. The next chapter of your life begins today, and you're playing the hero. Whether you're on track and ready to cross the finish line or need a complete overhaul, you've come to the right place. Join Larry as he walks alongside you in the next chapter of your life. We'll take a deep look under the hood to see how you can take the right steps to go from good to great. Victories aren't easy, but regret can be costly. Welcome to No Rewind. You've only got one shot. Welcome to Larry Betag and No Rewind. This is actually the first episode in the history of the No Rewind podcast. And I'm really excited. This is over a year in the making. I have um, a friend and a mentor in many ways by the name of Larry Chappell who's going to be joining me today. Um, the purpose of, of, of this show really is to go ahead and talk about people that have made decisions to really not be victims in life or had made the decision at some point to overcome the things that are really, um, you know, I, I guess in life that, 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 that create obstacles. And, and oftentimes some of the obstacles we have are self-created. You know, just really quickly about me, I am um, oldest of five kids. I'm out in the way, 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 way western suburbs of Chicago. I got five, uh, five kids of my own. I got a great wife. Um, I got um, a degree. I spent five and a half years drinking my way through college. Um, I found, I guess I'm going to say the Lord, or the Lord found me, one of us. Something happened my second senior year in college. I, I, I gave my life to Christ. This isn't a Christian broadcast uh, per se, but I, I would be disingenuous to not talk about my faith. Um, I went and I got a master's in clinical psych. I really liked working with teens, but I ended up working with the parents. Couldn't stand it. Um, the parents create a lot of issues for the kids, and when they go back to their home, they have the same issues. So I went on to law school, and in law school, the rule was the first year they scared you to death, the second year they worked you to death, and the third year they bored you to death. And so I was in my bore you death year, and I had a classmate of mine named Irma Gonzalez who begged me to get into mortgages, and I was so bored I thought I'd give it a shot. And so I ended up getting in the industry, and now here it is all these years later, um, I am over 26 years as a practicing attorney with one practice and, and then a, as a separate job as, as a vice president of, of, of a national mortgage company. I will say that um, I, I've written a book called No Rewind. This is kind of the premise of it. And if I can share with you two minutes on this, I'm, I'm really excited to get into our, 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 my, my first inaugural episode. But uh, the, the premise on the book is that, you know, there, there's two things. One is that everybody feels oftentimes that um, when they, they make a mistake, a sin, a shortcoming, a failing, whatever it might be, oftentimes, I know at least as men, we hang ourselves for the sins of our past. And um, I always think about this, um, about in the Bible, how, um, you know, David, he ended up doing some pretty bad stuff himself. And uh, he'd always look forward, even amidst the things that he did. Secondly, um, there's a woman by the name of Dr. Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, who she ended up, um, long story short, um, studied all these people who died and were brought back to life from the, with the paddles. And one-third of them all had the same experience. And this was experience. And it didn't, me, me, didn't matter if they were Muslim, Jew, 
um, Christian, atheist, agnostic, you know, whatever the faith or non-faith, one-third of them reported the same exact experience. <clears throat> the exact experience was this. <clears throat> Somehow, God rewound their entire life from beginning to the end, don't ask me how, and replayed their whole life, and they rewound it one more time and said, but this is how I wanted you to live it. And 100% of the people that had that experience said, I wish I would have lived the life that God had called me to do. And so my other part of the book, and really the premise of the show, is let's just not waste our tomorrow. What we've done, we've done. What's going to happen from this point on is really up to us and what we do. And so without anything further, Larry, you've, had, you've heard me babble here for four minutes here, but I am really grateful to have you uh, uh, on the show, so welcome. Thank you, Larry. I'm glad to be here. Well, I, I will tell you, you and I got to know each other through a mutual friend of mine, uh, Joe Barlow, and I think that for you and I, we had an instant click. I will tell you, um, you'd probably be annoyed with me because I sat around here for a year trying to get up maybe the guts to go ahead and, and start this show, um, or inversely, um, trying to find the time. And COVID really did a lot of number on uh, uh, me as far as my time. And But here we are in 2021, and I'm here with you. So thanks again. Yeah, thank you, Larry. I'm, I'm pleased to be a part of it. So I will tell you that you, I, I think I live a really fun, fast life. Um, but it sounds to me like you live a life a lot more fun, a lot more fast than I did. Is that right? I don't know about that. I, <laughs> I, I, certainly, I certainly had my experiences. Yeah, so you are, what, what, what's your job right now? What do you do for a living? Right now I, I work for Salem Media Group. We, out, we own and operate over 100 radio stations across the country, and then I sell the, the Internet and um, social media as well as advertising for the radio stations. Yeah, that must be um, a really wild job. I, I suspect you get to meet a lot of really great people in that, that job. Yeah, I meet, I meet a lot of great people, business owners, Christian leaders, ministers, all of that. So tell me a little about your family before we get into your story. Well, I'm married and I have five kids and um, and happily married and excited about the future. So tell me, um, your wife, how long have you been married and, and how old are your kids? We've been married for 25 years and our... our um, let me see, my youngest is about 25, and then on down, 25, 24, 23, 18, 19, somewhere in that area. <laughs> wow, you uh, actually got to it right away, getting along back to back to back to back. I'm spread out. I got mine, I think, five over 10 years, and you're like five over six, seven years? Yep. Must have been a very... Yeah, we we bit... thought it was important that they'd know each other. Well, and I'm sure that um, that probably got put to the test, huh? I bet they did know each yeah. other. Yes, they did. So tell me, you mind sharing with people? Because I think that what I find fascinating for you is that um, I would say that you're a guy who has lived almost two different extremes in a life. And um, where, I, you know, I, my, my friend Joe and our friend Joe, you know, told me a, a lot about you before I had the opportunity to meet you. But I think, you know, from my standpoint, um, 
the, the bits and pieces he told me of your story, coupled with some of the stuff that you've shared with me, it's riveting. And you had a process, and he, he told me things, but again, you know how things get lost in interpretation. I would sure love if you shared kind of the, your journey and path to how you got to where you were today. And maybe I'll interrupt you a few times for to elaborate. Yeah, I, I, um, I grew up in an extremely dysfunctional family, and, um, and, you know, at the age of 14, 15 years old, I determined that my heroes were the drug dealers. You know, everybody that I knew that had any money or cars or anything, they were selling drugs. So I set out to become a big drug dealer and started, you know, started out with pot in, in high school and, and then moved up to um, become a major distributor in a state line area. Where were you from originally? I was from Beloit, Wisconsin. Okay. And um, so you, you, you get this journey. Did you have any siblings yourself? Yes, I had a couple brothers. And where were you in line? I was the youngest. Okay. And let me ask you, not not casting any judgments or aspersions, but um, how, how were your brothers uh, to great mentors, not great mentors? I, I honestly don't know. No, they, no they, they were kind of where I was at. So they weren't helping the cause. No. <laughs> Okay, so you were in high school and you get into these drugs, and then at the end of the day, I'm going to say you you started honing your trade and <clears throat> honing your profession, and I imagine you came a little bit better at as the time went on. Is that right? Yeah, yep. I at the age of 27, when I was indicted by the FBI, the newspaper said a million dollar a month conspiracy arrested, and I had cops on the payroll and people in the DA's office and I had a pretty major empire at that point. So this blows me away. This is above and beyond. This is exciting because I can tell you that even though it's not where we're going to end up, but it's it's almost like a, a I, I kind of think that right now, just the story, the way it begins, it sounds like it could be a, a major motion picture. Yeah. Yeah, probably. And you were living the high life. Uh, did you have everything you uh, felt at that point that you wanted because it sounds to me if you got cops on the payroll and government officials on the payroll and, and, and you got a million dollars a month of forest did were you netting that or was that how much was um, you were trafficking that's how much I was trafficking and and you know one of my greatest discouragements was I couldn't find what to buy you know I, I had the cars and the motorcycles and boats and and the bodyguards and all of that and and yet I found that um, you know I couldn't find it's like you couldn't find enough things to buy so in other words you would buy everything that you wanted and you still had excess money um, looking back or even there was there a certain joy or, or was there a lack of joy or, or could you tell the, the difference between maybe heart joy and surface joy? I don't know. I think you know what I'm saying. Yeah, no, I was I was totally not happy. I was frustrated and I had the, the FBI after me. I had the local and state police after me. I had junkies after me. Um, I lived in a state of fear of being shot at and robbed and going to jail it was not it was not a pleasant experience so in my mind i'm kind of thinking in kind of a, a kind of a very cool sexy hollywood movie way 
you probably had a major sense of pride in the beginning as you kind of climbed up that ladder because in many ways, like any kind of profession in life, I would suspect that there is a pride as far as building something that's your own. You uh, are, are learning how to really kind of uh, engage with people, create relationships, and build something, at least in your mind, that you thought was significant. Is that right or wrong? Yeah, oh yeah, I felt like I had a major empire and that it was significant and and I controlled it, you know, with an iron fist. I, I made sure that I I knew who was getting busted and who was going to testify and I could tell you a lot of stories where different people came to buy from me and I knew already from the police that they were informants and things like that, so I... I felt like I had a pretty good empire built. So I'm just kind of reading in. As my mind goes on this thing, Larry, I, I keep thinking to myself, well, once you, I, I suppose at some point, you, you, you realize you're at this pinnacle, and yet did you ever have the moments of, yeah, I made it? Or when you got there, did you have, oh, this is all there is? Tell me about you know where you were whenever you got to wherever you thought the pinnacle was. Yeah, I, I got to the point where I thought I was there, and yet I felt more miserable than ever. I felt like there was no meaning in life and no purpose. I thought that if I ever had the drugs and the money and the women and all of that, that I'd find the meaning of life. And that became probably one of the most discouraging things of all, to get there and find out that the answers weren't where I thought they would be. So when you're there and, and you got this, I'm going to say, between the ears or maybe a heart void, what do you do? I think a lot of people probably just fill themselves up with, with um, you know, painkillers such as drugs, sex, rock and roll. I mean, how do you deal with that void when you're at the top of the, the heap? I started doing the drugs and I got addicted to smoking the crack and, and the volumes and the alcohol and all of that. I was I was a real mess. So continue on with the story. So here you are at 27. You're at the top of the... Was 27 years old the top of the heap for you? Yes. What happens from there? Well, the FBI had came into town and I knew that they had indicted some people and I knew from my informants that um, I was part of the sealed indictment and then I would be arrested on a certain day. So I got in my car and left, thinking I'd just get out of town. And um, and I got to about Kentucky. And as I was driving along, I thought to myself, if dead was dead, I would take death. And then I thought I'd take my car and crash it into the bridge and rip off the, the people that were trying to arrest me and you know, all of that. And as I got near that bridge, somebody had spray painted on their trust Jesus. Okay, so I, that, that's crazy. First of all, it's crazy. But but secondly, but going back before then, you said if dead was dead. What do you mean by if dead was dead? If, if, if dead was dead, I would take death if it was the end and there wasn't anything more because, because then I would be through with the addiction and through with all the problems I was experiencing. So here you are thinking that you're running to your freedoms, but my guess is you're probably trying to really escape your prison 
more than anything. And so you, you, you're in Kentucky. Where were you headed to, by the way? I was headed to Florida. Okay. You have people down there that you're going to go see? Yeah. Okay. And so you're in Kentucky, and this bridge, the, the, the point of the bridge was, you, what were you going to do? Were you going to kill yourself at the bridge? Or what, tell me. I, I, was, I was thinking I'd run my car under the bridge and kill myself. And so you get to this bridge, and it says, honestly, it says it's like spray-painted, trust Jesus? It's spray-painted, trust Jesus. Okay, I'm riveted. Tell me more. And I call him out. I said, God, if you really exist, if you're there, I'm ready to die. I'm ready to do anything. Just tell me what I need to do. And he said, the first thing I need you to do is get in your trunk and get out those four ounces of Jamaican ganj and those 210 milligram volumes and throw them out. And I thought, man, I surely can't do that, God, because I need those drugs to sleep at night. And, and you know, we struggled in the car a little bit. And finally, I pulled over and got him out of the trunk. And as I was driving down the road, I felt like God said, I need you to um, throw him out. And I thought, well, I'll throw him out by mile marker so-and-so, and then I'll come back and get him when I'm figuring out that I'm going nuts here. And um, and at that point, God said, no, I want you to pour them out all over the highway. And at the point that I did that, I literally felt um, something leave my body and, you know, felt literally like the car was full of light and like like the Holy Spirit came on, came on me. So you, you, you tell me, you, you said that when we were driving, were you by yourself or were you talking about you and God? Me and God. So you were flying solo down here, right? Yes, I was by myself. So how long did this battle go on in the car? I would say it went on for a good half hour or so. Hmm. Hmm. I, I, I almost wonder as far as what that, in, in many ways, that's probably your first step of faith. And... Um, you know, uh, how painful or how whatever that might be to release something that really kind of been your, in many ways, that's probably your savior at that point because that's the thing that made you everything that you thought you wanted to be. Right. Huh. Anything about that moment um, that you, before you poured that thing out there, uh, I, I just can't imagine really the battle that went on, but as you're pouring this thing out or what, what was the... What, why did you decide at that second to go ahead and do that as opposed to continue to drive and saying, screw that? Well, I felt like God was saying, this is your, this is it, Larry. You, you know, you've, we've been around and around and around and, and giving you all these breaks. And this is your opportunity to really, um, really make it right with me. So you go ahead and do that and, and probably, um, Maybe come tears coming to your eyes as as you're realizing all this stuff's being poured all across the interstate, and uh, so you have this this epiphany moment that where it's like you feel the Holy Spirit come in. So tell me what happens after that. What happened after that is I felt like I was shining so bright that if people looked at me, they'd be blinded. And I saw a blue sky, and everything changed dramatically. It was like. It was totally different, and I knew that God was saying, God said, you know, everything's going to be okay, and and um, 
you know, I would have to go to prison. I would have to pay for my time, and and all of that. But but in the end, he would he would make sure that I never regretted the purpose, so or the path. We are here with Larry Chapel, and who is giving us just this most incredible uh, story. And um, um, you 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 you're, you've gone through this whole thing where you 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 came from a dysfunctional family. You you end up, um, you know, deciding that. The, the, the dark side is a light side and, and you master that and then at some point you know your I'm going to say for lack of better words not if not your life being in jeopardy definitely your freedom is and so you go on the run and at the end of the day you have this experience and um, throw your drugs out and here we are so um, I'm assuming that um, there again I don't know but I'm assuming that you didn't just flip the switch and life was a bed of roses afterwards. What 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 happens after that? What happened after that is I was indicted and How'd they get you? I was arrested in Nebraska and they and they sent me back on Con Air. How did you, you know, get to Nebraska from Kentucky? I don't I was just driving. I was just driving and letting the Holy Spirit lead me and and um, just really just listening to the Holy Spirit. How did they find you in Nebraska? I was I was I was actually pulled in to play racquetball at a racquetball club and and they they um the cops came in and arrested me. How how they know? I I guess that the 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 person that was that owned the racquetball store felt that I was acting a little erratic. Hmm. So they must have called, huh? Interesting. They, they called, and I was in there playing racquetball by myself and kind of yelling kind of loud and <laughs> that kind of thing. Okay, all right. So you get taken into custody, and what happens after that? But then they ship me back to Madison, Wisconsin on Con Air. And um, then I had to, I had to um, face, you know, a hundred years in prison and and um, and a trial and all of that. So these were probably federal charges, correct? Yeah, they were federal charges. Okay, so here we are, and um, you get you get um, arrested, sent to the, this federal prison in Madison, and then what happens next? Well, then um, I was fortunate enough to only be sentenced um, to eight years, and I did. I had to do six on the eight, and um, I remember I got a hold of a book called by Merlin Crullers called Prison to Praise, and and I determined that I would be thankful from that day on. <clears throat> so when um, the judge sentenced me to eight years, I dropped to my knees in the holding cell and I said look God no matter what happens this is my my college this is my boot camp I'm not going to ask you to get me out one day early just make sure that I know you in a way that I'll never walk away from you again so, and that's kind of so we got we have a lot to, we're, we're kind of wrapping up the, this episode here but um, I want to continue on with you for another another episode here but maybe in the last minute that we have here um, so uh, tell me so you, you're, you're, you're in prison or, or you have this trial and they, where they where they send you to prison 
they sent me to, um, well, you start out in downtown Chicago at the Metropolitan Correctional Center, and then they sent me to Oxford, Wisconsin. But they actually sent me to a lot of different prisons throughout my incarceration. Okay, I want to hear more about that in our next episode. But um, I guess uh, as I wrap things up here, I just want to say thank you for being here. This is um, an awesome, awesome story. It's riveting. I can tell you just from what I've heard so far, this would probably rival any kind of uh, made-for-Hollywood movie. Um, let me ask you one parting shot, and then we'll wrap this one up and come back for the next episode. But if someone was going to play your life, Larry, on the big screen, who would you want? Oh, <laughs> I suppose someone like Brad Pitt or somebody. Yeah, okay, fair enough, fair enough. Well, Larry, thanks for being with us today. Uh, can I have you hold over, and we'll, we'll, we'll start the next one here? Yes. All right, listen, thanks again. We'll talk soon. Thinking about buying a new home or refinancing your existing one? With interest rates this low, what are you waiting for? Today's historically low rates means now is a great time to take the next step. Talk to Larry Betag from Cherry Creek Mortgage. Larry is a great resource to answer all your home financing questions. Call Larry at 630-524-9677 or visit www.cherrycreekmortgage.com forward slash Larry Betag. Larry Betag, NMLS number 158606. Cherry Creek Mortgage Company, Inc., NMLS number 3001. An equal housing opportunity lender. Not everyone will qualify for products offered. Thank you for joining Larry Betag at No Rewind. Be sure to repost this podcast or share it with a friend. If you'd like to contact Larry directly, you can email him at betag at comcast.net. Or you can call him at 630-417-7172. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll see you on the next episode of No Rewind. No Rewind.